welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, the podcast about classical things from a bunch of classical teachers in the movement that is sweeping the world, classical education. I was looking at classical education statistics on Twitter this morning, and the most retweeted tweet of all time is, classical education is cool and good. Wow. (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. The most retweeted tweet of... The classical world, oh, not no, of, of all time. time. Of all time. That's, that's the ever, most yeah. retweet, no, that's not true. I think the most yeah. retweeted tweet of all time is that guy that tweeted Wendy's to get free chicken McNuggets. Right. And um, and he and that and that young man, he won his chicken McNuggets. So that just shows that classical the classical movement is gonna win. <laughs> Everything that is tweeted on Twitter popularly will eventually succeed. Was but, it the most retweeted of all time there? Popularly? What is happening? Yeah, is a man needs his chicken nuggets. I don't, man, I don't a man understand. needs his chicken nuggets is the most retweeted, retweeted tweet of all time. I just got sad. Sorry, man. Th- that man won his nugs. So that is a, uh, <laughs> that is a happy young man. Anyway. Succeeded. So this is classical stuff you should know. Yep. And Oh, who are we? Do we have to say? My name is Graham nah. Donaldson, and I'm here with AJ Hannenberg. That's me. A, uh, a classical teacher in ninth grade English and my co-teacher of rhetoric. And senior English. And senior English as well. And then we're also joined with Thomas Magby. Hello. Um, named after, as we all found out, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. Yes. That is, yep. Not Thomas from Bewitched. Bewitched, yeah. Not Thomas from Bewitched. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, he is the dean of student Cranmer? life. You yep. know Thomas Cranmer? Uh, yeah. I'm not named after Whatever. Bewitched. Sorry. It's not a very good story. I wish it were. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and yeah, so this is, um, we thank you for listening. Yep. And today, since you've clicked on the link, you know that we are going to be talking about Classical rhetorical form. AJ, what is classical rhetorical form, and why does a cl- someone who's interested in classical education need to know about it? Oh, man, that was a great lead-in question. I was planning on starting a different way. <laughs> uh, so I, I was wondering, how were you guys taught to write in mm. high school? That's, that's what I would like to know, is what, what yes. is your background in writing? Um, we did the five-paragraph essay, and... I don't even remember actual writing instruction. I just kind of remember that teachers would talk to you as if you had received some instruction in the past, and then you would just fake it by writing them something, and then they would turn it back to you disappointed. Mm. <laughs> and then wow. and then it was and then I would take it home and take it to my dad, who's a professor, and I'd say, Dad, help, how, how do I do this? And then he was like, well, it looks like they want you to do this. And then he taught me how to do it. That's that's what I remember. I don't remember actually sitting down and doing any sort of grammar. Here's how to write a sentence. I, I just sort of, yeah. I oh, don't man. remember it at I all. I never had disappointed teachers. <laughs> <laughs> they, they read your writing and they were like, it's incredible. Oh, this is publishable. This is amazing. <laughs> Why um, am I the teacher? I have become the student. <laughs> wow. Wow. Every that's day? not true. Yeah, in like second grade. How about you, no. Bees? Uh, five paragraph essay. Same. And... I'll, I'll always remember that your um, intro is supposed to be an upside-down um, pyramid. Triangle? Triangle, yeah. I don't know why it's a pyramid. But it's supposed to start with a really vague thought and then end with your thesis at the end. And then you have your three supporting points for your thesis. And then you're, you have a, a, a right-side-up triangle at the bottom. You start with your very specific thesis, and then you wrap up with a very vague general thing at the bottom. How vague were your vague thoughts? Like The sky is blue. From the dawn of time, <laughs> man has thought about the causes of World War One. <laughs> And then it ends from with, the dawn of time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's time. something yeah. Aristotle like was like. You know, World War One. I. I wonder what'll cause How'd that it. start. I don't know. What about uh, you, Bert? It was the same thing. I got taught the five paragraph essay, but not. I think I was overtly taught it maybe one time. Mm-hmm. They just sort of assumed I had it. Yeah. And I sort of put together writing stuff as I went along. Like you read a lot, you end up being able to write kind of. And then it was the same sort of thing: upside down triangle, three boxes, and then. A normal side, a little pyramid at the mm. bottom. Yeah. And that's, I think that's how pretty much everybody has learned to write. And what's odd to me is that you don't write a whole lot of those in college. No. The five paragraph essay. And I am not sure I have ever read one in the real ever. world. Have you guys ever seen one in a newspaper or in a magazine or? Mm. No. And we live no. now in a. The in Bible, a, maybe? So <laughs> when we were in high school, the, the concept of maybe having some kind of career in writing was pretty limited. But nowadays, with the, there are so much online think piece articles and so many websites dedicated to churning out these think pieces that you could say in some respects, writing can be more of a potential 
money-making endeavor than maybe I wouldn't say career because I don't think people who write medium blog posts or or, making or, a or those lists like yeah. 20, 20 pictures yeah, yeah. of people who didn't plan ahead and I have to say I admit I love those every time one of those pops up on Facebook it. that's like the reason I go to Facebook now is to go to those Diply posts yeah, yeah, that's yeah. like people who got in over their head I'm like oh I gotta click on this I've just sort of accepted it with myself but now it's like you know, 20 reasons why Luke Skywalker would have been involved in the current hashtag movement of mm. pick your social cause, right? And then, so there's lots of people. So there's, I, I guess my point is, there seems to be more writing nowadays than there was just because of the internet. Yeah. And, and, all, so you'd think, and a lot of bad oh, writing. Way, su- such bad writing. So you yeah. would think that like, um, yeah, I, for us, maybe our teachers were like, well, they're never going to write anything anyway unless they work for New Yorker and that's never going to happen. But nowadays, it could, you could maybe make the argument that there is more avenues for writers who are persuasive. There's more potential, maybe. Yeah. But the, okay. But why was it the five paragraph essay? Yeah. I guess we're going to get into this in a little while. But like that's so if it's no if it's not, if it's not used anywhere and um, it well I don't know I guess we'll get into whether it's persuasive or not. Yeah. Is but, it effective? Yeah. Sure. Uh, well, I was curious about that, and I did a bunch of research at one point, and. From what I can tell, and I'm probably wrong about this, right? I'm I'm just, I'm a lowly ninth grade English teacher who did a little bit of research at one point, but no one really knows where like the five paragraph essay came from yeah. or how or why it rose to the fore. It just became this utility thing that we did in school, and it confuses me, right? Because we don't ever use it in real life. Nope. It's it's honestly kind of a bad format. Because at the beginning, they encourage you to write vaguely, mm. right? The first thing you do is give a vague statement. And that, is, that is bad writing. Everyone who has ever written about the writing process says, do not just write vague sentences. They're mm. bad sentences. So you are encouraged in this format to do it at least twice and then to kind of do it less and less as you move towards your thesis and then more and more mm. as you go out from your argument. And that's not good. Mm. Like that's, we are encouraging our kids to write badly. Like mm. we are telling them those things to do. And I think the five-paragraph essay grew naturally from what we're talking about today, classical rhetorical form, which, oh, man, it sounds so boring. And I know it sounds so boring. <laughs> Who wants to hear about how to <laughs> how to format their writing, right? Me, That's me. Not, Let's do it. It, it doesn't Yay! sound like a kick in the pants, Woo! really. Oh, oh man. I, oh, just, I just woke up. What's <laughs> happening? Hey, What's happening on this podcast? <laughs> but but I promise it's not, it's not as boring as it sounds, and it actually comes in pretty useful on occasion. And so... Whenever I teach this to my students, I always relate it to them trying to convince their dad to buy them a car. Mm. And I'm not really sure how I should do that with adults. Like, what is what is a common thing that adults are trying to convince other people a of? promotion? <laughs> oh, I don't know. A promotion might sure. work. Okay. So a promotion might work. And I'm going well, to have to do this on the, the fly. Stick with the, no, the, no, stick with the car one. Because that's, you know, the one and... and uh, yeah, but I kind of want to relate it to our listeners right. if I can. I'm, we have some students You don't think listeners. all of our... I'm pretty sure all our listeners are like under 14. I really doubt that. <laughs> they're they're going through those Diply posts right now, the 20, 20 hot burns from Tinder. Um. <laughs> Sorry, I think these are all actual articles that you've read. Oh, uh, yeah, I, was, I read a Tinder one yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so classical rhetorical form is how the old rhetoricians would organize an argumentative essay, right? We're not talking informative. That's a different thing. There are... There are three different kinds of discourse, right? There is judicial discourse, which is concerned with what happened in the past, right? You're talking about whether or not someone did something, whether or not an event is a good thing. You know, it's it's concerned solely with the past. And there's some argument. With judgment. judgment yeah, with, with judgment, right? And this is the kind of thing you'd hear in a courtroom. Uh, there is argument there, but it's maybe a different kind of argument. Um, and it in- involves different topics, right? We're talking about laws and precepts and what's the... Pre, there's a word for it. Is there any like a law that Pre- precedence? That's the one. Precedent. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you. And so there's things that come in there, and then there's ceremonial discourse, which happens at birthdays, right? If I was going to give a toast to Graham, I would be engaging in ceremonial discourse, which is concerned mostly with praising and condemning. So the oh, dang. So I would birthday. be at his birthday. And <laughs> be like, Happy birthday. You know what, boys? You're all here, but he's the worst. Let's get out of here. So that means it, it is the discourse. For the present moment of the ceremony. Yeah, and you're trying to make people feel we good or feel bad. We are gathered here today to honor Graham or to disparage Graham. Yeah, and I'm I'm or only kind of, I'm not really 
necessarily judging his past. I'm just bringing up the good stuff that he did to make everybody feel mm-hmm. good about him. So this is valedictorian speech. This is, mm-hmm. yeah, this, is val- what, this is best man speech. Right. The valedictorian isn't trying to judge what the school has done in the past unless he's really doing an awkward thing up there. And he's not trying to judge where the school should go in the future. That's not his job. His mm-hmm. job is like, we're here for you. We did it. And everyone's like, we then somebody pulls out a beach ball and they get in trouble and, you know, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. That's ceremonial. And what I'm talking about today is... Um, persuasive? Persuasive. Well, there's a word for it. Um, I'm spacing on it. Oh, I know. Which, um, I have it in my notes. All right. Uh, anyway, car. persuasive discourse. It's concerned with what we're going to do in the future. Deliberative. And if, deliberative. And if you have a specific goal in mind, you need to convince everyone else that this is the way to do it. And so they organize this kind of discourse into kind of a, a format that would work. And the benefits of this is that it's shrinkable. You can grow it. Like, that's that was the bad thing about the five-paragraph essays. When you got to college, a paragraph what did you do when you were asked to write ten yeah. paragraphs or ten mm-hmm. pages? Mm-hmm. I wrote an introduction with vague sentences at the beginning and then rambled <laughs> for nine and a half pages yeah. and then wrote a conclusion. What did you guys do? Same thing? The exact same. Similar things. Yeah. Um, I was lucky in college in that I, I when I started college, I was doing a specialist in philosophy, which meant that all of my classes were in philosophy and they had very strict ways of how they wanted their papers written. And so that was the first thing that you had to learn was this, how to write a philosophical paper. Oh, that's awesome. It it was good, but I I didn't want to stick with the specialist and I I turned it to, I changed the degree around. But it was, um, it was more of a, like a mechanical style of writing and you had to be really particular with your words. So that was really good. But, um, but uh, yeah, I think in high school I got to that point where my teachers were saying ten pages. You would, I would be like, all right, I need five paragraphs, and if it's ten pages, that means that my second <laughs> paragraph, paragraph needs to be two, two and a half pages, pages long. Yeah, uh, well, here we go. And then um, it was rough. Yeah. So classical rhetorical form can be any length, right? You could write thirty pages with this. You could write, you know, twelve sentences with this. Anything you need. If anyone says you need to give a speech convincing people to do things, you can use this because you can shrink it, you can grow it, you can do what you want. It's so more fluid. This is when we're deliberating over something. So should Sparta go to war with Athens? Exactly. Should we go to Big Bend Park this weekend? Should we replace all the company toilets with Japanese toilets? Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, they talk to you. They, they I'm warm. sorry, what? You oh don't like goodness. those fancy Japanese toilets? No, that I don't. They oh, warm your seat, and they, then they talk to you, and then they... Say, I, I kid I, you not. When, I don't want someone talking to me, One though. of our <laughs> hotels, Man and I went to Japan a couple of Thanksgivings ago, and it wasn't a fancy hotel, but they had, like, motion sensor toilets. Uh-huh. And so you walk into the bathroom, and the lights would dim, and the toilet would uh, <laughs> seat would come up, and lights would appear under the chassis of the toilet. And then chassis? You, the chassis? The chassis. <laughs> the toilet has a chassis? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Underneath the like, the from behind the toilet. Yeah, I understand. And I and I swear it would say something in Japanese to the effect of like, I'm, uh, "Arigato." Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pleased to accept your waste or whatever it is. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it was amazing. Um, uh, Amanda loves them. She, uh, we looked them up. They're like three grand. Um, and you need, and you well need a power it. outlet oh, wow. <laughs> next to the toilet to power yeah. the. Anyway, sorry. All right. Well, let's rock and roll. That sounds like a great thing yeah. to convince people of doing. All <laughs> yeah. right. So I, I'm going to walk everybody through, and we this is the way we have our seniors write their senior thesis, which is a 20-minute speech over 12 pages that they memorize and then deliver and then have to defend. And so we are, all three of us are on the thesis team, and so we're all really familiar with this. Mm-hmm. So feel free to chime in if I miss something. Um, but I will go through the steps and then talk about at the end how you can like move them around and shrink them and what you need and what you don't. And then how I'll talk as I go how it relates to the five-paragraph essay. Because I, I really do think the five-paragraph grew naturally from classical rhetorical form. Mm-hmm. All right. So the first part is known as the exordium, which means leading off, right, the beginning. Because if I get up there and I just start jumping right into my argument, everyone's going to feel real weird about it, right? As a pastor, you got to lead off with a joke or a story and a sermon. As a teacher, you got to kind of – they call it the hook, mm-hmm. right, if you're teaching a lesson – it's the same thing in discourse. I can't just get up there and be like, "My topic and that's, for today." Yeah, yeah, we should stop testing on pigs. And everyone's like, "What are you talking about?" Right? You got to you got to kind of butter up the audience a little bit. And yeah. there's a few reasons why you do this. You want to render the audience attentive, benevolent, and docile. They want to be paying attention. You want them to like you and respect you, and you want them to not be pushing each other and punching each other and that sort of thing. It was probably more important way back in ancient Greece where people would be yelling and, you know, you had to get them all seated 
The same is true in like a third grade, grade classroom, but most of the time adults are pretty respectful if well, you're getting up to speak. British Parliament. Yeah, that's what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> Which they still do, yeah. by the way. Bang their canes on the floor. It's a fact. You should go. Check it out. It's great. So the exordium is to do that. And one of the problems with writing in college and writing at any time is blank screen syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Where you sit down and you have no idea how to begin. And the great thing is the, the ancient rhetoricians gave you five ways, right? There are pretty much five ways to start an introduction. And, and all you got to do is just kind of pick one and roll with it. Mm-hmm. And so we've got five. We have the corrective, which is to show that your subject has been misunderstood by the world at large or by your audience specifically. So you could get up and be like, you all think that American toilets are the best toilets. I'm here to prove you wrong, right? That having American toilets in our company is the best way to go because they're American made. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna show you why that's wrong or why that's different. Or everyone misunderstands Japanese toilets. They think to talk to you and it's weird. Who wants somebody talking (laughs) to you while you're going to the bathroom? Seriously. I'm gonna tell you why it's soothing, why it's necessary, (laughs) why we gotta have it, all right? So that's the corrective. So you need to have assumed your audience's position before you, you get into get it. it. That can be dangerous. Not You don't have to assume a position. You can, if they really have misunderstood, you can say, you know, this might be how you see this, or mm. you can say, this is how my topic is largely perceived. Gotcha. Or you could even pull up like an, uh, an article that disagreed with you, mm. right? This guy says this, and he's wrong. I'm going to show you why. How is, how is coming off the bat with a corrective going to render them benevolent and docile? Uh, and part, partially it's just interest. You have to be careful not to be like, y'all are a bunch of dopes. Yes. <laughs> right? One of the things we, we talked about when we talked about ethos, logos, and pathos is that you want your audience to feel as though you care for them. Mm. And so when you correct their error, it has to be like, look, you, might, you are misunderstanding this very important topic. You are missing out on Japanese toilets because you have assumed that American porcelain is the best porcelain. There's an entire world out there of ways to use the bathroom. <laughs> exactly. All right, so that's the corrective. And it's good. It It's okay. All right, that's, that, it's a good one. Have we stopped doing the, we're talking about how we're going to get people promotions? Is that what I think, I think we, we've gone transitioned to clean right into toilets. <laughs> uh, with the thesis, do many people use the corrective? Not often. Uh, it's, it's a tougher one unless somebody really does misunderstand. We had a kid do fluoride in the water a mm-hmm. couple years ago, and he's, he just went through a lot of the IMF blogs. Mm-hmm. Have we talked about the IMF on this podcast? I don't think we've talked about the IMF. All right, so in thesis, we have a term for something, on, a phenomenon on the internet we call the IMF, and that's the Internet Mom Force, the folks who post stuff about vaccines and fluoride in the water and nutrition and that sort of thing. Not to say that they're all wrong, but there is a phenomenon where... Not to say that these things shouldn't be researched, but there is definitely an internet phenomenon where um, uh, things get posted that gain traction and... Then get uh, blown way out of proportion. And get blown way out of proportion, and they have maybe anecdotal evidence as opposed to scientific evidence. And um, we call... and Yeah, so... Um, Our kids bring this evidence all the time, and they're like, look at this article, and we're like, this is IMF, man. There's there's no scientific basis for these claims. So that's the IMF. (laughs) And we had him just – he just read a whole bunch of IMF quotes about people hating fluoride in the water, and then his whole thesis was saying, you know, it's actually not that bad fluoride in the water. It kind of helps your teeth. I'm, I'm thinking International Monetary Fund every time you say the IMF. IMF. And okay. then there's all, uh, IMF is also the name of the... Is there uh, a special forces named IMF? No, it's mi- the Mission Impossible movies. The yeah. IMF is what uh, um, Tom Cruise's character is part of. Impossible Missions Force. There you go. <laughs> what? Okay. Yeah. Oh, great. Great. Yeah. So that's the corrective, right? That's a pretty mm-hmm. base level one. And then we have the inquisitive, which is probably how you were taught to start a lot of introductions when you were young, you ask a question, right? What would you do if you were Abraham Lincoln, (laughs) right? What do you think about the War of 1812? Probably nothing, because no one knows what happened at that point. Canadians are really big on the War of 1812. Really? Yeah, oh man, we have like mini made-for-TV movies about it. Because we have no, like the Americans have no idea what even it was. I know, it's because Canada like quote-unquote won, and we weren't even Canada, we were England at the time, but... um, uh, the Canadians take like goofy pride in the fact that at some point we burned down uh, your build it, your president's house, which was called the Brown House, and then you built it as the White House. Yep, I think that was a positive move. That was yep, yeah, <laughs> well done. Yeah, thank you, thank you for taking no care welcome. of that. Board. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah no really problem. solved a problem yeah. there. Hey, you know, friendly Canadians. <laughs> All right, the inquisitive can also be to show that your subject is curious or noteworthy, right? So when you ask the audience a question, everybody automatically wants to answer it with their brains, which 
makes them interested. So it, that's the hook. It's a hook, yeah. right? As you mm-hmm. say, what would you do if you're Abraham Lincoln? They're like, what would I do? And mm-hmm. I could have been because look how honorable I am, right? I mean, they think I'd be a vampire yeah. slayer, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, right. or to show that, that it's curious, right? Giving weird book. statistics. And this is, and the funny thing is that this is so effective that the internet has really latched on mm. and advertising has really latched on. How many, how many times have you heard, like, do you own a car? Yep. Do you have $500? Then come on down to blah, 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 right? Yeah. <laughs> do you have old, nasty furniture? Do you want new furniture? And then you, your brain is like, oh, I do, my furniture is gross and nasty. Take and, my money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you, you have heard this so often because it is effective. Mm. And then... The other version showing that it's interesting is the clickbait article, right? Mm. right? This guy fell into a hole, and you won't believe what happened next. No, I won't. It's, yeah, yeah, it's and then showing you read that like, he broke his leg and had to be rescued. Oh, oh okay. All right. Three million people bought this last year, and then you're like, oh, how? Oh, okay, click. <laughs> I got to see what they bought, and it's like soap. Um, <laughs> I hope more than three million people <laughs> bought, bought soap, soap last year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's just to show that it's inquisitive, and but the problem with the inquisitive is that it's so effective that it has become overused. Mm-hmm. And it's so overused that if I get up on stage and I ask a question to begin, a few things happen. First, I sound like I don't know what I'm talking mm. about. You don't want to ask a question. It puts you on bad footing. And then you also sound like a car salesman, <laughs> right? You can do the showing noteworthy things and like bringing up interesting statistics. But if the first thing you do out the gate is ask a question, you're going to sound like an idiot. And you don't want to do that. What's the presidential debate where the guy got up there and said, who am I? What am I doing here? Yes. Yeah. It's, and and, that, and, and people, well. people then laughed in response. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Right. And that's not, that's not a good <laughs> way not to go lead well. off something. Nope. Yeah. It does not go right. well. So, so far we've talked about the inquisitive and the corrective. And we're going to talk about the paradoxical next. It's where, it's mm-hmm. where you present a paradox to your audience and then promise to resolve it. Right? So I say the, the tomato has has often been argued whether it's a fruit or a vegetable. I am here to tell you that it's not only both of those. It is also a woodland creature, right? Wow. And everyone's like, oh, wow. how can this be? Yeah. And then I'm going to show you how. Or I could say right now above me, highly civilized and honorable men are trying to murder me from the skies. And everyone's like, wow, what's, how that work, right? How can they be civilized and murderers at the same time? So you give them a paradox. Or like... You think Superman is your greatest hero, and I'm here to tell you that he is He's also history's greatest, greatest villain. villain. He yeah. is both. And the audience is like, how can wow. that be? Oh. And then they, they have to know, right? Yeah. And so you've hooked him yeah. right, with, by giving them this paradox and then showing how you are going to resolve it. Mm-hmm. So those are the first three. And they're pretty effective. Uh, I think the inquisitive showing things are curious are really good. And the paradox is good. The corrective can go wrong if you're not tactful with it. Um, the next two, I think, are one is used far less, and then one is, I think, used probably the, the most, most effective. Yeah. Uh, so the next one is preparatory. The preparatory is if I'm going to do something weird in my speech, like if I'm going to whisper the whole speech, I need to tell you why I'm going to do that. I can't just get up and go. In, ni- in 1812, <laughs> there was a war, and that war. I'd have to say why. I'd have to say, I'm sorry, I lost my voice. Because I was so stoked about 1812 yesterday that I was just yelling all day. Yeah. So I'd have to tell them why. Or if I asked my class to meet me in the parking lot and I was there with no shirt on, they wouldn't be able to concentrate unless I told them why. Mm -hmm. Right? So I have to prep them for that. I'm preparing them for the weird thing I'm going to do. And I could say, I am here. We are studying Exodus. And I am here in the parking lot with no shirt on to show you what happens over a single hour of exposure to the sun. Mm. And now imagine what that would be like for 40 years in the desert, right? That kind of thing. Was this, was preparatory like the Gettysburg Address when they were standing in the fields <clears throat> where battles happened and, and uh, Lincoln is talking about the battle that happened here? Is, is that a preparatory? I think they could put it together. Oh, okay. if, he, if he had started the speech somewhere else and he's like, we are all going to stand up mm. and we are going to walk to the field where this happened. We're going to do that so you get a feel for what those young men felt. Gotcha. Right? That is the preparatory introduction. Everyone's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. And they all stand up and they go on a walk, yeah. right? It's, it's weird. It's a weird way to develop a speech and you got to tell people what you're doing or else they're distracted. Mm-hmm. That one is more a, an introduction of necessity, mm-hmm. right? Or if you're going to write the whole thing in pig Latin or in Latin itself, mm-hmm. you're going to have to tell your teacher why or he's going to be kind of miffed. Yeah. All right. The last one of the five is the most effective, I think, and it's the narrative. And this is where you start with a story. And anyone who sat through a sermon knows how effective these are, especially because they're effective all the way through something, right? Narrative is something that humans automatically key into. It's why the Bible was written as a narrative, right? Because we love story. It's 
it's why you, every time the pastor tells a story, you're like, and paying attention. <laughs> and then he goes back and he's like, and my third point, you're like, and lunch, thinking about lunch, thinking about what I'm going to do after church. Right? I'm not accusing you. It's just people it's have true. a hard time paying attention. Yeah. All right. So those are the five. Like you are, but and anyway. it's also, wouldn't you say it's the most common one that the students use also? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just uh, partially because, because of my most... teaching and because I say it's most effective. They think that they've got to do a story. Yeah. Uh, we have a few bra- branching out this year, but. We find that it is, it is really effective, right? Sometimes the heartstrings are really punched and people sit down and listen when yeah. you're using a narrative. So corrective, paradoxical, preparatory, narrative, and inquisitive are the five. So all you got to do when you sit down is just sit down and pick one and go. I have also heard the, I call it the maximal one, where you start with a maxim or aphorism. Mm. Like, we've all heard that a fool and mm-hmm. his money are soon parted. Well, I'm here to tell you that's true. And then they show you a thing. And I'm I, poor. Yeah. <laughs> Some, I mean, sometimes that can be the corrective, but often it's just an easy lead-in for something short. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so the um, when speaking, when, when speaking, when speaking, what when speaking was taught in uh, ancient Greece, it was the program NASTO was the program that they would use to teach that, and one of the steps of that is telling a, f- uh, a fable with one of those maxims attached to it. Um, the end of this program is to be able to give a political speech, which is what you're talking about or, to argue about a law yeah and they actually have the progymnismata has a variety of things they even tell you how to say quote somebody yeah you're first supposed to praise the person you're quoting like yeah. my i'm about to tell you something my friend graham once said and graham was a good man he was a thoughtful man he was a great teacher and he said japanese toilets oh man those are the bee's knees <laughs> And then you you got my attention. Yeah. So you're supposed to praise and then you're supposed to say it and then you're supposed to give. And they have this whole program. We don't necessarily follow it today and it's kind of weird. It is. So I I used to do it with my students and I kind of phased it out. Okay. That's the first part. That's the exordium. That's the leading off. And that happens in maybe the first two lines of your introduction of a five paragraph essay. Maybe just the first sentence, right? You tell a quick little story. The great thing is it doesn't have to be vague. You can tell a story. You can correct. You can prepare you can do something other than like in japan they make toilets mm-hmm. and we need toilets like that's just a vague sentence that everybody knows and nobody cares what you're saying it's a, it's a throwaway yeah all right next is the narratio it's the background it's any background information that's necessary for your audience to understand your thesis when it comes it needs to be brief lucid and plausible right doesn't need any extra stuff it needs to be short or else you're going to lose them and they need to believe it like if i if I'm convincing them to install Japanese toilets in our company and the first thing I say is, in the 60s, when the aliens landed in Japan uh-huh. and handed down their toilet technology, yeah. we gained great gift. <laughs> it was a great gift for us. And let me tell you what technology from the aliens is left in the toilets. And everyone's like, ah! <laughs> right, so they have to believe what your you first few facts. Yeah. It has to be a little bit lively. It doesn't have to be dry. It's got, it can have sort of a vividness to it, but it should be brief, lucid, and plausible, right? And there's sort of a... a necessary. Like, you, you don't need yeah. to say, like, human beings have been creating waste since as far as human beings have existed. Like, you don't need to give every single piece of background information. Just, like, relevant. Or, or the first toilet was invented in ancient Rome, or, you know, like, you don't yeah. need to go all that, that far back. Um, so there needs to be... So it needs to be relevant, relevant information. Yeah, and there's often a, a an inverse relationship between brevity and clarity, mm. right? The briefer I am, the harder it is to be clear. And the clearer I am, the harder it is to be brief. Mm. And the mark of a good writer is someone who can be both brief and clear in a short space. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess you would be brief in a short space. They can be both brief and clear. All right, so that's the narratio. So you, you hook them, and then you tell them the problem, the state of things, what's going on. So I would say, welcome to... You may think that American toilets are the best kind of toilets for our company, and I'm here to tell you different. So we have had toilets in our company for the past, you know, since since we were founded. And everyone uses them. You know, and right now we have this many toilets in the building, this many bathrooms that, you know, handle this many people. That's kind of interesting to know, right? Mm-hmm. We need if we're gonna replace all the toilets, we need to know. How many toilets we have, maybe how many break every year that we have to replace mm-hmm. anyway, how often they are used, how many times maybe the average person uses the bathroom in a day. And so it's it's a record of how much really toilets are getting used by our company yep. and the how much of an impact this is going to take. The temperature is a frigid <laughs> 10 degrees Celsius. Um, and then, but, and if you had really it, done your work, mm-hmm. you could, I mean, later you could bring this up in an argument, but you could say that 60% of the people who use our toilets are dissatisfied with the experience <laughs> yeah. after they leave the bathroom. Okay, so that's just background. And it's all the stuff that's necessary for when you arrive at your thesis to say, 
This is why I think we need to replace our toilets with Japanese toilets, right? That is, it is a one sentence nugget of what you're going to do. And this is known as the propositio. Propositio, thesis, same thing. What you're proposing. Yeah, one sentence of proposal. And this is, we're still in the first paragraph of a five paragraph essay. Don't worry, the rest goes faster. So this is going to be your thesis statement. Thesis statement, proposal, propositio, same thing. So we've done introduction, we've done background, and then you have your proposal, what I would like to see happen, right? And then right after that, you have your partitio, which is the, you tell your audience the three points you're going to talk about. We should replace Japanese toilets because it, they provide for a better experience for the user. Okay. They dispose of waste more efficiently and they promote cleanliness mm. and the, prevent the spread of disease in our company. All right. So I've got three good reasons. Everyone's like, oh, okay, I can, I can buckle up on this. Mm. Human, human beings have a hard time just paying attention in general. So if you tell them where you're going, it helps them to organize stuff in their mind. And then if you review later, it'll help them to organize it again. Now, in the five-paragraph essay, what I was taught was you, if you have three body paragraphs, your three reasons, you would try to work those three reasons into your thesis statement. And now all of a sudden you have just the most unwieldy, terrible sentence ever. It's um, a run on, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a big we should put Japanese your... toilets in our company because, because. one, two, and three. Yeah. And it's this big, long, kind of unwieldy sentence. And I still tell my students, like, you have to know how to do this. But it's not the most ideal way. If you need to, you can take that partitio and put it before your proposal. You can say, because they promote cleanliness, because they are more fun to use, and what was my, because they dispose of waste more efficiently, we, we should, need to put yeah, Japanese yeah. toilets in our company, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one element. Like I said, you can move things around if you need to. And that partitio can sometimes go really well above your actual proposal. But you would never teach them to start a sentence with because. No, you, you absolutely can. Because. Isn't that wrong? Because I went to the bathroom, I felt better later, right? That's, it's just an inversion of the sentence. That's totally okay. You would never do it as a sentence fragment mm-hmm. because Jenny said so. You know, right? That's a fragment, but you it, can invert it. AJ is correct. Uh, it is okay to start a sentence with because you just have to make sure you're writing complete sentences and not sentence fragments. Well, my letter of resignation will wow. be on okay, well, Roy's <laughs> desk tomorrow. Just goes to show that ninth grade is uh, it's a little better than tenth grade. Ninth grade. That's why my the tenth graders just come out like you know just banging rocks together to, 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 commu- <laughs> to communicate. <laughs> yeah, they, they come into tents like these wonderful scholars swirling brandy in a glass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they hit grand. Good morrow, like, <laughs> professor. And then they descent. go into 11th grade, bang, bang, yeah. four hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and then Catherine fixes them yeah. in 11th grade. Yeah. yeah. And, and then by 12th, we just sort of roll them out the door. Right? <laughs> they're, they're done, so we just got to sort of keep them in class until they're finished. All right, so we have our propositio and partidio. Propositio, partidio, and then you move into your, your actual three reasons, your confirmatio. And this is the bulkiest part of any speech, right? The sermon, it's the three reasons they actually go into. So you have a, so the thesis is uh, 10 to 12 pages, correct? Right. And you all give page ranges for each of these parts, don't you? Well, we find that they are most effective within a certain range. Yeah. So you're... Your introduction needs to be about three quarters of a page. If it's shorter, you don't really prep the audience enough. If it's too long, it sort of drags. Yeah. And when you have a speech, you're doing different things. So on a speech, you need that exordium to have a little bit of like almost like chaff just for the audience to settle down, quiet down, turn their brains on to listening. Yeah. Um, so you need the hook, but you need like even just 40 seconds of sentences that are good to listen to but not mission critical to their understanding just to like render them docile and benevolent um you would probably do less of that when you were writing something Mm -hmm. um, because uh, you can always go back and reread something and they're already sitting benevolent and like they're they're attentive and Mm -hmm. docile already so you just have to make them like you that's Mm all Mm -hmm. uh with with thesis, we also, the narratio changes sizes depending on how complex your subject is and how much people know about it. Like a pig genetics, that might be a little more complicated than talking about toilets, right? Mm. Everyone knows how toilets work. Okay. The confirmatio is, there's plenty about how to write those. You just want to break your big idea up into three arguments. So mine were cleanliness. So I'd be like, all right, so Japanese toilets promote cleanliness. Here are some statistics about how they do so. Here are some features that they have that help with that. Here's how often our... our People get sick. I would want to break it up into sub points if it was a really mm-hmm. big speech, but it, it doesn't have to be. It could be short. And the the big thing, the renovation that comes with the classical rhetorical form here is just learning how to organize these. And there's three different ways. Chronologically, so I could talk about if I was arguing that we should do something, I could talk about the first step, the second step, and the third step, or just what happened first, second, and third. You'll see this most often in judicial discourse. And then 
I could also talk about logically. So this needs to happen. needs to happen, and then it will lead to this, and then that will lead to my third thing, and then my conclusion. Right. So one, two, and three leading logically from one to the other. Most often, it will be by strength. So I will want to organize them according your, your to arguments. how how good mm-hmm. they are, and it's kind of. It's kind of a bad idea to lead off with your worst one because then you lose your audience and they won't pay attention to the rest. Mm-hmm. And it's also a bad idea to start off with your best one because they'll be like, oh, this guy's a genius. And then it's just downhill, downhill from there. <laughs> so you want to start off with something medium, right, of, that's pretty decent and then bury your poopy one right in the middle. right? Hey, where everyone's toilets. Hey, <laughs> where everyone's thinking about lunch, where everyone kind of wants to go home, where they're tired of looking at your face yeah. and they're wondering how that long this is going to drag on. That's where you can bury your, your worst point because they're not really paying attention anyway. Your best point is what you need to end with. So by strength, it goes two, three, one. Middle, worst, best. All right. But would wh- you do this with writing too? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. You got to have to organize it somehow. Uh, why? If one of them is a bad one, why do you include it? Why not just have two better points? I, that's not bad. It's oh. worse than the other two. But, it's just but weakest. If so if I rank them one, two, but if, if there's a weakest third one, why not kick it out and just have points one and two? Like, is there something magical? Because now you have a new weakest. Two. And then only have one. And you know, the weakest want. is the strongest. <laughs> and then we're... Whew, now, we're now we're Jedi? <laughs> yeah, Did that just happen? Did we become we philosophers? I was just wondering if there's some magic to three. So three... Two sometimes isn't thorough enough. Four gets a little laborious. For some reason, three it tends to be the number everybody sticks with. It's what pastors do. It's what speakers do. It, it it's just what tends the five to pa- work. Five paragraph essay does. Right? It's what a five paragraph yeah. essay does. And I'm I'm not super married to it. We've let students do two points before if there's like a clear division in their research, or we've let them do four if there's something that you know they just don't have enough for any single one. It happens. But any more than that, and it gets tedious. Any fewer than that, and you don't it, you haven't done your research. Oftentimes, two arguments will be related to each other, and then if you have that third one that's completely uh, a completely different style of argument, that's more persuasive. Because if if you're just if if we're just talking about cleanliness with the toilets, and two arguments are kind of about cleanliness, getting rid of waste and and cleanliness. Um, if we don't talk about if we have another argument that's talking about cost or whatever, then we're coming at the argument from a totally different angle, and that's even more persuasive. Yeah. But I think when we start putting four or five or six arguments in there, um, it begins to sort of undercut the thing entirely, and then just becomes kind of pedantic and boring, um, or just overload. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Let's, let's you know, keep on cruising. Uh, the next one is the refutation. So this is where you anticipate counter-arguments and head them off, right? So I, you, as an American may feel unfamiliar with Japanese toilets. And I can tell you that it's it's an easy transition, right? They work the same. There's nothing really that different. The buttons are easy to work. You won't have to read a manual. Everything is kind of self-explanatory, right? So if you're worried about the learning process, I'm telling you, there isn't really one, right? And if you're worried about the cost, I can say that, I mean, it's a pretty populous place, and they sell all over the place, and they've gotten really good at producing these, so the cost is actually pretty minimal for these toilets. It's actually only 50 cents more per toilet, mm. which is incredible. So altogether, to replace every toilet in our company is going to cost us 50 bucks, right? Only Let's $50, right? Yeah. That's that's nothing. I have it right here, and I'll put it in the box, right? Mm. And you put it in a box, and your audience is like, yay, look how generous, yeah. right? So that's the refutation. You anticipate counterarguments because... Everyone sitting in that audience is going to be arguing with you in their head. They just do. That's what people do. And so you need to know those are coming and then answer the biggest concerns you can. And it also shows that you are really thoughtful, right? You've done your research. You're considering the other side and why your side is still important. And this this particular piece doesn't really exist in the five-paragraph essay. It's the one piece that's left out and I think much to its detriment. But our students usually spend a page on this and they usually talk about two different points but this can go poorly when someone does not fully consider the opposing argument so they'll say um the, you're worried that they're crazy toilet monsters and that it, these toilets are going to murder people but i can promise you there have been no toilet murders in the last year it's like well that didn't really that wasn't really my big concern um the some of the best ones um that i see are like they state what the cost is they state the opposition and they'll say this is a real cost or like this is a real thing that we'll have to bear and it's worth it for this reason this reason this reason yeah like really have considered the opposing view right exactly okay and the last part is the pararadio or conclusion and these are notoriously hard to write right this is a matter of style it's a matter of pers- personality but there's a few things you can do you want to review right go back over your arguments and tell them what you told them just to kind of refresh in their head your reasons 
You want to really hammer any points that are important and remind them of those. You want to, if you can, end with a favorable opinion of you and with, uh, maybe paint your opposition in not that great a light. Although, you have, if you're going to do it, you've got to do it carefully. <coughs> I encourage my students not to think about it if they're going to do it at all. And then, but the most important thing you got to do here is make an overt play to emotion, hmm. right? If you have convinced your audience, now you have to make them want it. So this is where I'd be like, imagine walking into the bathroom. You open the stall that now goes down to the floor and you don't have to show your feet to everybody. It goes down to the floor, you open it up, hmm. mood lights come on because the toilet senses your presence. The seat heats up or cools down because... It, you have a little fob, and it knows the temperature you like. It's clean. No one has peed on it. You don't have to worry about wiping down the seat beforehand. You don't have to worry about even touching the flusher that everyone else has touched with their nasty, diseased hands because mm. it does that for you. Imagine. It's like, it's like going on a cloud. It knows you're there, but you don't know it's there. It's amazing. Right? Sounds fantastic. <laughs> Right, so you make, a, you make a play to emotion, and so you can tell another story. You can finish the story you began in the beginning. The story about someone who slipped and fell and busted their head open on that hard porcelain toilet. And then you can say, and what, then what they bought was a Japanese toilet. And since then... They've never slipped. They've, they've never. gotten three promotions. <laughs> they but, feel better at home. They've yeah. reconciled with their strange daughter. Right? Think about all the change <laughs> that could come from a Japanese toilet. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I was wondering that if the type of exhorting you do influences the, your per audio, your conclusion, like... So narrative, it's it's easy to you start with a story and then you end with that same story. Uh, I, I wasn't sure if there's something like for inquisitive. Do you then I don't know answer a question or you paradox? Don't have to, will you end your paradox? Or? You don't have to end with the same story. And if you make it a little too matchy matchy, I think you have the same problem that you have on Project Runway. If you're doing too matchy matchy, it's that it just yeah, it looks a little cheesy. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, yeah, for my Project Runway watchers out there, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do not. I I definitely do. Sorry. He also watches Pressure <laughs> We just doubted ourselves. Make it work. Yep, make it work. All right. So that's that's the whole piece. Uh, I can go back over it, and I'll try to relate it to how I do with my students convincing their parents to buy them a car. So the first thing you want to do, you're like, you, you got to plan this. You, you want a Mustang, right? You really want the new Mustang 2018. It's amazing. It's a hybrid electric, but the electric is weaponized to make it faster. Yep. It's not yep. even necessarily more efficient. You're just burning coal and gas <laughs> to make that electricity happen. Uh-huh. All right, so you need to convince convince your dad to buy you this car. So you think you're exordium. You need to render him attentive, benevolent, and docile. Well, you can pick one of the five, but he's your dad. Unless you've really been screwing things up lately, he should already like you. Yep. And if you want to mm. talk to him, he should already be atten- attentive. And fathers are easy. So what I recommend for an exordium there is just hand the man a sandwich. He'll put <laughs> it in his face. He won't be talking. He will love you, yeah. and he'll be docile. Good. And if you're planning on making this argument, you need to be making yourself useful around the house beforehand, mm. right? Do the dishes. Take your kids, take your siblings to school if you have the permit or whatever it is. Like, really work on making yourself loved around the house. Mm. And you say, hey, Dad, can we talk? And that's your whole exordium, right? Mm. It's short. doesn't have to be long. And then you hit the narratio. This is stuff you should probably know, but you can remind him. Hey, Dad, I'm, I'm turning 18 in a couple of days. I've uh, I've been driving that jalopy, that 79 Ford Fairmont mm. you bought me a couple of years ago that's been giving me headaches because of all the carbon monoxide that leaks into the cabin. And I mean, it's on its last legs, right? We all kind of know it. At any given time, it's got three out of the six cylinders working. So it's it's going to go and I'm going to need a new car, mm. right? So there, I've told him the background. I'm going to need a new car. And then you, you can go right into your thesis mm. and you can say, so I've done the uh, exordium, the, the hook, give him a sandwich and say, hey, dad. And then I've done the neuratio, which is uh, my car is going to die and I'm going to need a new one. And then I do my thesis. What I would like is the 2018 Mustang. And your dad is instantly going to scream no in his brain, which which means that your form is going to change a little bit. You're going to take the refutation, right, anticipating counterarguments, and you're going to move that way up. If you ever meet a hostile audience, you want to assuage them and, you know, address their fears first because they already don't like the idea. So you say, dad, I know, I know what you're thinking. It's expensive and I'm going to wreck it. But I've been working for the past three months and I have this much saved up. It won't be that expensive. And uh, I, I can put seven grand towards it. That's that's a lot of money to put towards this car. And I, I have an impeccable driving record. Not only have I been driving with no wrecks for the past two years, 
But I've also, in my spare time, been doing driving simulations. Mm. And I have, even in the extreme mode where they put you in wreck situations, I have a 100% success rate. And your dad's like, oh, oh wow. Here's a letter from State Farm Insurance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Showing that I have completed their, like, trick driving course, right? So you are all set. And then you're like, okay. And then you want to give him your, th- your, your uh, three reasons. So the reason I want a Mustang is for these three reasons. Because it's got the highest safety rating of any sports car. Because its resale value is incredibly high. Mustangs are renowned for going up in value. And because it'll get me girls and I know that you want me to find someone and get out of the house. I'm turning 18 and you want me out of here. It'd be help if I had a, a girl to be interested in. You know, I smell weird, but a car would help. And that's like, okay, I'll hear you out. So then you want to give me your three reasons. So which one of those three do you think is the strongest? Safety rating, resale value. Or Either safety, safety rating or right? resale value. I would think safety rating with your dad. Yeah. Resale value is maybe a little bit different. And especially if you're going to keep it because that doesn't appeal to him. So I would actually probably trade trade that argument to you can drive it sometimes. Oh, mm-hmm. Ah, see, that that's going to hook a dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so that's probably going to be the strongest. The yeah. girl is probably the weakest. Safety. So you're going to want to lead off with safety. So this car, as opposed to the Mazda Miata or whatever else is out right now, all those cars crumple like tin cans <laughs> in every crash test. They just turn to mist Mm. but you could toss a mustang in there and it comes out without a scratch it looks like nothing happened i could run that through a football team Mm -hmm. and it would it wouldn't even have blood on it like it's it'd be (laughs) the most amazing thing ever and then the next one so it would also help me get girls i know you've been wanting that you kind of brush that one under the rug and then say most importantly dad you can drive it Mm. if we buy it together i will consider it a joint ownership so, so we, that's what we should do. We should buy it together and then, I'm sorry, I got distracted. Something started playing the out music? of my headphones. Yeah. yeah, it's the music. So from our editing, it's, it's playing and it hit that spot where our <laughs> music usually comes in. So, uh, so yeah, you can drive it, Dad. Imagine how great that would be. And then I want to go into my conclusion, which is just to paint in his mind a vision mm. of driving a mm. Mustang. Dad, Good. what car did you want when you were young? Mm. Did you want... A 79 Ford Fairmont on its last legs? Is that what you wanted? Did you want a hand-me-down minivan? Or did you want something nice? Imagine if you had gotten to live that. You have the chance to give that to me. And you're not just giving it to me. (laughs) You're giving it to To you. right? You get to give it to both of us. And I know that I'm shooting for the stars here. I know that this is a long shot. I just want to have you think about it and maybe go test drive one. That's it. We can just go sit in one and drive it around. We don't have to buy it. Because if you get your dad in that car, you are <laughs> 98% of the way there. He's going to yeah. want it and he's going to buy it for you. So that's that's the whole thing. That was classical rhetorical form in what? Like a paragraph and a half, mm-hmm. maybe? Not very long. I could have lengthened that to 10 pages and mm-hmm. gone really into the safety value, into how cars attract women. I could have talked about... How often he would get to drive it in, as opposed to how often I would get to drive it. All of those things can make very long points. Mm-hmm. But I don't need to. I can keep it short. Yeah. And that's why this is so versatile. Things can move around. I can toss out pieces I don't need. I can move around things to help it fit my audience better. Uh, but that's classical rhetorical form. That's what we do for our kids. And the moving around of the refutatio is fair game? Fair game. If they're a hostile audience, it needs to go right after your partitio, or maybe even right after your thesis. Have you, have you ever had a, thesis, uh, a senior thesis have to do that? Yeah. Oh, really? Absolutely. I think there was a kid who was arguing for waterboarding mm. one year, and man, you got to move a refutatio there. To the front. Yeah. Real, real, real fast. Yeah. And if you don't know what, what I mean, never mind, that's a bad joke. Okay, I won't well, even here we are. Can <laughs> <laughs> you talk about how waterboarding sounds like? Waterboarding sounds real fun if you have no idea what it is. Waterboarding at Guantanamo Bay sounds super fun <laughs> if you don't know what it is. We went on vacation. We waterboarded at Guantanamo Bay. I have nothing um, to say. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, well, that's it. Thanks, Hennenberg. That was, that was great. Yeah. yeah, I hope that was informative. Yeah. Form. So if you're convincing someone to give you a promotion, consider that. Yeah. Like, give them an intro. Give them a little bit of background. Show that you've been working hard. Tell them the three reasons why you should get the promotion. Assuage their fears. Mm-hmm. Look, I know I'm not a team player, but I've been working on it. <laughs> and then conclude by painting them a vision of how you would work in the new place. Good. So in keeping our tradition of classical things that we got wrong, mm. longtime listener and friend of the podcast, Miss Catherine Ball. Second reference within the same She podcast. was on it. She was a guest. She yep. was a guest on the podcast, has uh, informed 
us that uh, we have gotten one classical thing wrong. In fact, I have gotten one classical thing wrong, and that is on... But only one. Only one. No, actually, no, she had a couple. I'm saving them for future podcasts. Uh, (laughs) Uh, On the one where we talked about the um, four-way scripture, I made reference to the fact that in the um, Acts of the Apostles, Paul had a dream where God was asking him why he was saying that Paul was saying that things were unclean, that God made clean. In fact, it was Peter that Mm. had that dream, not Paul. That is a pretty egregious error. Um, she kicked down my door in a, <laughs> just in a rage um, How could you? of this, uh, demanded that I make a retraction on the podcast. Um, and uh, so that's what this is. I humbly retract my mistake. Uh, it, it will never happen again, Miss Catherine Ball. <laughs> no uh, more mistakes. If you know Catherine Ball, you know that kicking down a door in a rage is not something that we could ever picture her doing. She would like genteely open it <laughs> yeah. and have brought you muffins. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then... Talk about ask you questions about your weekend very sweetly, and then as she was leaving, just in passing, just like a, oh, by, by the way. way, and then and then that was the reason why she was there. But she made you feel good about making yep. a mistake. That's what she can do. Yeah. Um, does anybody have a quote? We, Hennenberg, I know you Ooh. wanted to do a have a section where we read a commonplace book quotes to close off the podcast. Sure. What I've been looking at. Let me see. Let me see what I got. And maybe how's your commonplace uh, book? Um, potential coming? Is this something that you are still thinking of doing? So I'm not sure if... I guess I'll share this comment now because here we are. Uh, so I, uh, I had never heard of a commonplace book until coming to the school like a year and a half ago. And if anyone else shares this deep-seated fear that I do of like that blank page and like the first thing that's going to go on that page, uh, I just was always thinking to myself that whatever I put there is going to be the most important thing that I write down in this commonplace book. So it mm-hmm. needs to be this like beautiful quote that summarizes the nature of humanity and like it's got to be like spiritual or else I'm a bad Christian and like all these like thoughts of what had to go into it. But then I found out that uh, I believe AJ Graham, you all do this too, but the students do this as well, that they'll put funny quotes in their commonplace book as they well, mm-hmm. in addition to uh, um, pieces from literature. And so I decided to break the ice by putting a funny quote from a student at the top, and I now feel much better about using this commonplace book. So, <laughs> I've got a bunch of funny quotes in mine. It's, I, yeah, I didn't realize. I, I felt I was approaching it so super seriously that it kept me from, like, doing anything with it. So as an encouragement to you, listener, just write anything you want to on that page and just get started with it. So Okay, I've got, I've got a couple of them. They're both from Moby Dick. So this one is, Real strength never impairs beauty or harmony, but often bestows it. And in everything imposingly beautiful, strength has much to do with the magic. He's talking about whales, yep. I assume. He loves talking about whales. Yep. And then the next one Melville is... Melville flipping loves whales. He loves whales. All right. And the next one, it's, in man or fish, wriggling is a sign of inferiority. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Good. Well, dear listener, thank you for listening to Classical Stuff You Should Know. This We are your hosts, Graham, Thomas, and AJ. We thank you for listening. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, concerns... Or if you want, a, a, like, a... A breakdown of classical rhetorical mm. form, I can send you the notes That's pretty right. easily. So you can email us at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. You can visit us at classicalstuff.net. Um, you can download us on wherever you get your podcasts. Except for Spotify. Except for yep. Spotify. <laughs> Come on, Sweden. Uh, you fair listeners, we thank you, and we will catch you next time. Yep. Man, we really have to work on the sign-up. Nope, it's perfect. Bye. Bye. Bye.